Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. The Waco History Podcast is sponsored by Brotherwell Brewery on Historic Bridge Street in Waco. Across the Brazos and Waco, ride hard and I'll make it by dawn. Across the Brazos and Waco, I'm safe when I reach San Antonio. All right, welcome back to the Waco History Podcast. Uh, this is an episode that I've wanted to do for a while. In fact, uh, we are, we're currently recording at the Webster Avenue location. I was just told... This is the last podcast that Rogue Media Studios will have at the uh, Webster location. And next door to the Webster location is what we're going to talk about today, which is Evangelia Settlement, which is on 12th Street between Clay and Webster here in Waco. And I've brought in an expert (laughs) who's done a great service to the city by helping uh, get a historical marker for Evangelia Settlement that was put in last year. So it's one of our newest historical markers here in, in Waco. And it's Buck Cole from Austin. Buck, thanks for joining us today. Nice, nice to be here, Steve. Yeah. So, Buck, I want to I wanna hear your story at some point. I know your story intersects with this broader story that we're talking about. But uh, when I begin to, to try to give listeners an idea of what, what we're talking about if you could kind of educate folks a little bit on the settlement house movement and and what were some of the goals and populations that it was addressing well the settle house movement was um a movement to try to address the ills of the industrial revolution uh the urbanization the black the urbanization and the things that sprung out from that like children on the streets with nowhere to go, uh, alcoholism, uh, women uh, working in sweatshops and all that kind of stuff. And uh, about 1880, uh, Jane Addams and people like her, she was in Chicago and she looked around and she said, we, we have to do something about this. And so the settlement movement uh, was created as a organization or as a movement to somehow alleviate the problems of inner cities uh, based on urban areas uh, uh, as a result of the industrial revolution and you know factory workers and that kind of thing so uh, about 1880 to about i guess 1920 mm-hmm. the settlement movement was really uh, uh, a going concern in this country and uh, from that movement uh, two young teenage girls and Waco decided to make their make their mark in the movement, and that's what they did. Well, I want to talk about Waco. So, um, as you said, you know, this is aimed at usually immigrant populations that, or the working poor. That's correct. Um, and it is generally social or education programs, primarily to alleviate the conditions of the poor. 
That's correct, and it's, yeah. it always had a, compo- a religious component. Yeah. It always had an evangelical religious component, and that was really the catalyst for a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, people were, you know, sitting in pews and looking out the windows and seeing things going wrong, you know, children in the streets, dirty. Mm-hmm. You know, the immigrant populations were not being assimilated into a greater population. So, um, and so that's what uh, they decided to do. A handful of people, middle-class white people, mm-hmm decided that we needed to do something to alleviate the problem or mm-hmm. at least to you know, minimize the problem. So uh, it made its way to Waco. That mm-hmm. whole movement made its way to Waco. And the Evangelia over here across the street is just one of, I think, 16 settlement houses created in Texas during that time. And I think uh, that may have been a catalyst or an inspiration for them to create this one. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned, uh, you know, this is kind of a social gospel movement as well. It's informed by social gospel. But it also allowed, in general, kind of women to have a role. That's correct. Mm -hmm. That's uh, that's very true. As a matter of fact, the Evangelia across the street was actually uh, created by two teenage women in church when she heard, they heard a preacher, you know. And uh, and it gave women really uh, something meaningful to do other than be the domestic queen of the house you know mm-hmm. they can get out and actually make a difference in the community and i think that that more than anything else maybe uh created these this movement across the country yeah and we're and we're talking about an era you know pre-suffrage uh, women don't right. have the vote yet right but it is kind of a, a realm where they can kind of exercise their own agency to alleviate and help. That's others. exactly right. And a lot yeah. of these ladies were educated. You mm-hmm. know, they went to college yeah. and, you know, they other other institutions, and they're just, you know, chomping at the bit that to do something other than, you know, sweep the floor or do whatever they wanted to do. But uh, but these two young ladies here, they um, heard a preacher speak one time here in town, and he was I think he was a traveling evangelist or something, and he mentioned that, um, and they'd never heard this before, mm. that uh, we need, Christians need to get out of the pews and reach and enter into the brokenness of other people. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a cup of cool water to, for the less fortunate or whatever, we, we have to do something other than sing hymns and listen to sermons. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a catalyst for these young ladies to go out and find something that they could do to help the community. And they didn't have to go far. Yeah. I mean, there was a woolen mill just across the street here. Mm-hmm. And and it was uh, kind of a sweat shot deal. And it was by the railroad. And uh, they would offload raw wool. And then from there, it would be processed at this plant. And, uh, and a lot of the workers were women. And they, had nothing, they didn't know what to do with their children. And their children just ran around the neighborhood. And uh, so it was very obvious uh, problem, and they just decided to do something to alleviate that problem, and that's when they began the settlement home in 1907. Okay, so uh, I think the date uh, I had for it was uh, 1908 is when it officially starts. That's, a, that's yeah, correct. Officially starts. That's correct. And the, it's Ethel uh, Dixon and uh, Nail Sign. That's correct. I think of the names mm-hmm. that I have. Mm-hmm. As you begin, of course, this is long before your story encounters. Mm-hmm. 
Evangelia a settlement, but but I, I want to know a little bit about what you learned about these women as you did some research, maybe on the early years of this. Well, I, I don't, there's one, uh, one of the young ladies stayed here. She married a doctor and she became a person of note in society mm-hmm. in Waco. The other one moved out. Mm-hmm. So there's very little information about them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's pretty much all I know mm-hmm. because I've, I've followed some dead ends as far as where they went and all that stuff. But one of them married a doctor and thinks she kind of was absorbed in his, in his life. And that was kind of the end of it, but they stayed with the evangelist settlement for a while and trying to raise money and do that kind of thing. But, um, but yeah, I don't really have a whole lot of information about them. Okay. So, so typically what would these sorts of programs offer? Like, you know, if we, if we showed up in 1910, what, what would be, what could we expect they're doing? They would get hot meals. Uh, they would be clean. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was, a, uh, sanitation was a very big thing. You know, like hygiene was a very big thing. Mm-hmm. They would be dressed appropriately. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that, a lot of those resources would be just donated to those young ladies and they would use them whenever, wherever they could, blankets, you know, cloth diapers, all that stuff. And they were very small children. There are pictures, uh, photographs of very small children. And uh, they would, you know, range from, I don't know, one-year-old to 10, maybe. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they would spend a lot of their time uh, gathering resources and raising funds to, do, to buy the materials that the children needed. Mm-hmm. So, but they were fed. They were watched, which was huge. Yeah, uh, run around on the streets. That's what they used to do, and get in trouble. Some were lost, and um, and so they, the mothers were worried, working twelve hours in a wool mill, and uh, they didn't know where the kids were. They weren't allowed in, and uh, so these young ladies really provided a service, a real service, a real mission service uh, for these children, and they did just about everything. There were volunteers. Mm-hmm. Uh, people from the community saw what these young ladies were doing. They were inspired themselves to do something. So um, for, you know, several years, they these young ladies ran it with some volunteer help and and continued to take care of these children. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're, they're doing some, I would suspect, with, with the uh, uh, social gospel roots of this. They're doing some religious education probably too mixed with, Classes on hygiene. That's and, that, and yeah. patriotic education as well. They, there's a photograph of them, all of the children. I guess there's 50 of them maybe in this photograph I have, maybe 40, 50. But they're all dressed in white. There's an American flag there. Mm-hmm. They all have their hands over their hearts. And uh, they look absolutely happy. They look clean. Um, and, uh, you know, there was a conflation with patriotism and religion. Uh, this is kind of an American thing, mm-hmm. uh, and so they they were given religious instruction along with the regular schooling, reading, reading, writing, arithmetic, that kind of thing. But uh, just after their basic needs were met, they branched out into these other areas, and education was absolutely key to get these kids on the right path. and And it wasn't long after that that they began some sort of schooling mm-hmm. for the children, and you know, reading, writing, that kind of stuff. that's spot on. I mean, your point about patriotic education, because I know there's a thread in that settlement movement where raising the question, what kind of citizens are we, you know, are these sorts of places 
producing. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I read that, and okay. I don't, uh, some people might have a problem with it, um, but a lot of these kids were immigrants mm-hmm. uh, from immigrant families, and they had nowhere to start, Yeah, you know, and regardless of whether we agreed with the curriculum or not, they started with something about being, you know, what it means to be an American, and to, you know, to learn English and to, you know, get your education and be, be something down the road. Mm-hmm. So, and all of that was wrapped in religion, you know, uh, Protestant Christian religion. Mm-hmm. And um, so they got, I guess you could call it indoctrination to some degree, but mm-hmm. they also got an education about what it was like, what you're going to need to succeed in this country. Yeah. Uh, a lot of single parent households i would expect a lot of single parent households a lot of men just ran off Mm -hmm. you know they just ran off from their own kids and and so what do you do i mean they got somebody pregnant they can leave and uh, the the woman was left with not only trying to raise a child but to provide a means to do that Mm -hmm. and the woolen mill provided that means uh it was a tough job long hours but what do i do with my child yeah and so um it's the Evangelia is the first daycare in Waco mm. of its kind mm-hmm. where they take care of kids full time, and um, so the, those two young ladies started something very special. Yeah, and I think of historical movements of that era. I mean, you know, that sentiment is also tied to the temperance movement that's kind of going on at the same. What's happening that, to men, our husbands, our fathers? That's exactly right. There's mm-hmm. so many elements within the progressive movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, the men were drinking too much. Uh, they found factory work to be very boring and Mm -hmm. the urban jobs were very boring. And so they turned to drink. A lot of them did. Mm -hmm. And, and it's been temperance is something that's been going a long time in this country, 1830s, maybe, uh, men just got drunk. The women didn't know what to do. They had the children, you know? And so I think, um, as we moved forward in this urban uh, life that we were going to live, that these problems of drinking and um, child labor, mm-hmm. uh, women not having any rights to speak of, yeah. uh, and all that became, became f- to the forefront in the late 19th century. And, um, and this, the Evangelia home of the settlement uh, movement was certainly a big part of that. I know from your research, uh, did you, you author, did you author the marker? I did. Application? I did. So I know from your research, you found that by 1920, they were able to move into a larger kind of two-story yes, structure. That's exactly right. Where the red building is now, yeah. was that's where it was. Okay. And then that was built in about 20 years after, and they had moved, they had made accommodations for these kids, but it was just kind of piecemeal. But by 1828, there's a was a house there large enough to accommodate a lot of children. And we have a picture of that with the kids in front. That's the one I mentioned earlier. Uh, but by, you know, 20, 30 years later, though, the plumbing was old. Uh, you know, the rooms were too small. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kids were having to go up and down stairs, and that would prove to be a problem. And so, in, uh, you know, that was started in 1928. And so in about, you know, 1950, mm-hmm. you know, God, we, we can't, this is unsustainable. And so around that time, about early 50s, mid 50s, uh, the community chest, the, the initial funding uh, was funded by initial funds for the settlement home was funded by other churches. I see. 
And then from there, it went to the community chats, which was more of a secular thing where, mm-hmm. where businesses put in money to the chest and it was doled out according to need, um, supposedly. And then uh, from that, um, they were able to sustain that house for, you know, 30 years mm-hmm. until they built the new one. And that was started in, you know, there was a fundraiser between the Salvation Army, um, who else was in it? Uh, the YMCA mm. uh, put in funds to build a new home. And uh, so they tore down the existing one, and on that very property, they built the red brick building that you see now. Okay, so that's the 1958 yes. is when that project was completed. That's correct. Okay. Had the um, role of, I mean, if we think about that building there, you know, now it's a Head Start. I think it's a Yes, that's el- right. Yeah, it's for elementary Head Start, uh, one of many Head Start programs around the, around the, the city and county. Uh, but had the had the uh, operation of that kind of evolved by that point? By the time you get to the fifties, yeah, it got the administration and the organization became more sophisticated. It mm-hmm. wasn't just we need diapers; somebody go out and get diapers. Mm-hmm. They were be, they began to see uh, women began, uh, especially women began to become social workers, and they were yeah. educated to become social workers. How do I meet this problem mm-hmm. in a in an intellectual way that I can meet it in a, uh, in a human way. Mm-hmm. What, what are the things I need to learn about maybe psychology, child development and that sort of thing. And that women would just flock to that. Mm-hmm. And uh, because first of all, they were biologically attracted to kids, of course. Mm-hmm. And then second of all, it provided them a licensing path yeah. to do something other than just see what, what, you know, do something off, the cuff, not knowing whether it's going to work or not. So you had a systemic, uh, something that you could rely on, a process where they w- they knew how to take care of children and uh, do it in a way that uh, was uh, uh, beneficial in terms of nutrition, in terms of you know development, mm-hmm. in terms of education. So by the 1950s, for sure, uh, women were at the forefront, and I, I can name names. I still remember them. All right, listen uh, name on, names on us. Well, Ms. Garrett was uh, there was there was a Miss Thomas that I remember, but Ms. Garrett she was there when I was there, and uh, she was tough, smart, um, caring, and um, always seeking funding. Mm-hmm. And she uh, actually resigned her post in the early 60s, mid-60s, because there just wasn't enough funding that she was promised. But I remember her on a daily basis. She would line us up and we before we walked to Sol Ross Elementary, and she would put us in front of the mirror and she would say, what's wrong with you? What what can you improve? There might be egg on your face. Your shirt wasn't tucked in. uh, Your mom needs to uh, wash the jeans or whatever. But she instilled in us mm-hmm. a very basic understanding of not just hygiene, but the way you present yourself in public was absolutely paramount to your success. Mm-hmm. And she would give us those little, uh, not just put us in front of the mirror and say, what's the problem here, you tell me, but she would also give us these little life lessons about how you, if you're going to succeed in life, it's not about you. Mm-hmm. It's about the way you conduct yourself, of course, 
but it's also about the way you project yourself to other people. So every morning before we walked the solar off, she would line 15 of us up, 20 of us <laughs> up. And she, I got in front of, I remember getting in front of the mirror and she says, you know, Buck, what's wrong with this? And everything was wrong. You know, the, I had a rip in my shirt and I had, she said, tuck that in, make sure that your belt shows. And, and that's the first real uh, moment that I, well, I became self-aware mm. of what I needed to do as a human being. Wow. And I'm like seven. Yeah. You know, something like that. So though she's not the only one. Miss Garrett wasn't the only one. There were other women. Then the women that we had at the Evangelion, which was all women, by the way, uh -huh. they were our role models at a time when, uh, you know, women were not expected to be a role model. They were expected to do other things, but you looked up to civic leaders and mayors and who were always men. But I, uh, from the four years that I was there, hmm became uh, aware of just how we're uh, we're creating a country with one arm tied behind our back because yeah. these women were absolutely brilliant yeah tough as nails and tireless and yeah. tireless they mm -hmm. worked without complaining mm -hmm. and uh, I kind of carry a little bit of that with me the the, the, the instructions and uh, the messages of what it means to be uh, a viable citizen in a democracy. So mm -hmm. I, I know that sounds grand, but it's but I look back on it now and I, I see that that we uh, all of us learned something when we left the Evangelia. We were better kids than when we went in. Yeah. So. Well, you know, I think that the spirit here is uplift, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, well, let's back up a little bit, Buck, and kind of kind of give me some of your family background and, and kind of how your family encountered. Uh, the mission of Evangelia. Okay. Yeah. Um, my mother and father married in, I don't know, 1950 or 49, and uh, they had three kids. Uh, and over the t over time, uh, mother uh, was victim of domestic violence, mm -hmm. and it was bad. Yeah. And my brother and my sister and I saw it firsthand. Um, and he moved around a lot. Uh, my sister was born here in Waco. My brother was born in Pasadena, Texas. Mm -hmm. He took a job in Louisiana, and I was born there, regretfully. Uh, <laughs> and everybody, my family yeah. still bothers me about that. Yeah, about your citizenship yeah, is yeah I said, yeah. you're born on the other side of Sabine. You need to shut up. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, but uh, one, we were living in Shreveport, Louisiana, and brother was cooking on a one-burner stove, and he's gone somewhere. He kept us alive, barely, kind of, you know, mm -hmm. and... Uh, and then one day, uh, one afternoon, he was particularly bad, and uh, he went to work. I mean, went back to work in the afternoon. I remember it being afternoon. And she, um, we had one car. He had the nicer one. We had mom had one car. It had one headlight. It was a do old Dodge, old green army looking Dodge, and a, a hole in the floorboard. And when he left. Mother went to the bedroom and produced, came out with a jar of change, pennies, nickels, and dimes. He wouldn't let her have any money, but everything Mother had, she'd put it in here. And she had obviously planned this. And so we packed the suitcase each, and she put us in the car, and she said, we're going to go to Waco. And so we got in the car, 
my brother and I were in the back seat. That's where the hole in the floor was. Uh-huh. And we were just mesmerized by the road going by. And she kept knocking us back away from it. And my sister was in the front. And every time mother would stop to get gas, she would count out change to the to the gas manager. And she would keep looking down the road thinking he's going he's gonna to follow us, you know. And so anyway. Um, so no telling how long she had been setting oh, aside yes, it's, the there's, change. There's no, I have yeah. no idea. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we got close to Waco and there's one headlight and it got dark. And um, the light went on behind her and uh, it was highway patrolling. And he pulled us, pulled us over and uh, she rolled down the window. She said, kids, I want y'all to be quiet. And uh, he said, Keita, that's my mother's name. And uh, she said, yes. And she looked at him. She had the flash. He had the flashlight flashed on himself. And it was her cousin. He's a highway patrolman. And it's just one of those things in life that you just can't understand. You just, you just got to believe it. Mm-hmm. And, it feels um, like providence. Yeah. It's, it feels yeah. like providence, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and so he, mother told him a little bit because she didn't want to tell everything with us in the car. Yeah. And he said, follow me. He's not going to bother you. And so we followed him to town to my grandparents' house um, on Proctor. And, uh, and that's where we stayed for a few months until mother got a job and tried to get back on her feet. So, mm-hmm. uh, so we, at some point you begin to feel safe, you know, and then that's our um, connection to the Evangelia. Mother found a place that would, uh, take us in, mm-hmm. um, not full time. We didn't sleep there overnight. None of that stuff. We went to my grandma's house for that, but um, we, uh, she would take us into in the morning, drop us off, and that's when the staff would take us in, feed us the mirror thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and Miss Garrett, I want to see your homework. I want to know what you're doing. You know, that's the first time I ever anybody ever asked me that. You know. Mm-hmm. You have to take this stuff seriously or you're going nowhere. And uh, so, so that's the way it was. And then and then we'd go to school at Sol Ross. I started first grade, went through fifth, halfway through fourth grade. Mm-hmm. And um, and so we'd come in in the afternoon. She would ask where their homework was. <laughs> we'd show her. And then our, our mothers would pick us up. There was no, I never remember a man picking up a child. Mm-hmm. I remember it was wow. all mothers. Hmm. Um, and then we'd get in the car and and uh, and then go home. And so mother rented a place in North Waco because she, a few months with my grandfather was a little too much. <laughs> so she found a job at Lone Star Gas Company okay. as a dispatcher. And um, that's what she did. And she was making some money. And uh, she lied to my grandfather about uh, how she could make it on her own. And mother lied with the figures on the table at the La, at the little uh, the Italian village restaurant, yeah. uh, and she told me told me this story over and over before she passed. And uh, and she he said, well, I guess you can. And it was a rough four year. You yeah. know, it was really rough. But mother wanted to be independent, so she fudged the numbers, fudged the numbers <laughs> just so, so her and her kids could be independent of him. Yeah. And so we lived on Avondale, in North. Uh, in North Waco, off of 19th, and uh, and so we would it would be the routine every day. You know, she'd go to work and and take us with her and take us and we'd go to Evangelia, 
have breakfast, where's your homework? Look in the mirror, and we go to class. We go to school, come back, same routine. In the summer, uh, we were there all day, mm. and so uh, Miss Garrett was always trying to find um, something for us to do, not just play, but intellectual stuff. Mm-hmm. And so she would recruit professors from the from Baylor would come over, and I remember one was in the orchestra professor. Her name was Elena Darby. I'll never forget her name. It's, it's uncanny how you remember these things. But she introduced me to the cello. She introduced my sister to the viola. And we uh, played in the orchestra at Sol Ross for two or three years. Mm-hmm. My biggest regret is I didn't keep going because I fell in love with classical music after that. But, um, but it was a time not just, but no one felt sorry for us. Mm-hmm. You see, no one, and that's the thing, uh, that I get from that. No, we're never abused. It was stern. You you did your time in the corner, mm-hmm. you know, but it was no one was ever abusive. But but you learned that routine matters, that discipline matters, mm-hmm. and I learned that early on at Evangelia and through my mother. She was the same way. The thing, uh, one thing I'll never forget. One incident is that we got in the car to go home, and mother said, "I need to go inside." And I said, well, I need you to restroom. So we went inside. And when we got out, I noticed Mother was in Miss Garrett's office, and she had her checkbook out. And so I went closer to the door and sat in the chair by the door just to hear the conversation. And Miss Garrett told my mother, said, Keita, you don't have to pay anything. Mm-hmm. You know, this is free. And my mother with the checkbook out, and I know how we just lived hand to mouth and she told Miss Garrett something I'll never forget I can't take this for free mm. you know and that was kind of a the ethic that I came from you know yeah. it's not you you don't just take only when you have to mm-hmm. you give back you give them something you know and I've never forgotten that conversation mm-hmm. I was maybe nine and uh, I got in the car before she showed up, and we, w- we went home. And she remarried in 1965, I think. And uh, then we moved to uh, uh, off Highway 77 in Robinson, mm-hmm. uh, Meadowbrook Drive. It's just across mm-hmm. the street. It's just across the street from the new University High School. Yeah. That's where, where I grew up. Okay. From fourth, fifth yeah. grade through high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then from there I went in the military. And so, so what years were you at Evangelia? 1960 to 1964. Okay. I was, I was six. My sister was seven. My brother was five. I see. So, <clears throat> I'm assuming the summer was also reading programs. Yes, they had reading programs, and they introduced. Uh, for some reason, I don't know why. Uh, they came over in um, the people at Waco ISD, and they gave me these battery of tests. And they somehow identified me as the top 10% of Waco Independent School District. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, yeah. And so my uh, award reward for that was three weeks of summer school that they called enrichment. It's to, to a nine-year-old, it's summer school. But it was enrichment. It felt like punishment. It felt yeah. like punishment, you know. But but you know what? Uh, they Baylor 
professors volunteered to show us around the campus. Mm-hmm. We took classes uh, at Baylor. I took a class in the Civil War. I took a class in botany. I took a class in, um, gosh, I don't know what, English literature, which I just fell in love with. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but that's, that was the first year. And so it wasn't just, you know, us messing around. We actually had structure uh, during, my brother was playing baseball. He was doing other stuff. And, but uh, but I, I, Baylor provided me very early age an introduction an open window to something bigger than just existing, mm-hmm. a life of the intellect and that kind of thing. And I owe it to Vangelia, I owe it to the uh, motivations of Ms. Garrett mm-hmm. to, to provide that kind of thing. I think she stuck up for me. She was my champion during that time. And, um, and so, uh, yeah, I have, except for the want part, mm-hmm which will stay with a kid for a while. I did not, I am, if I had to be anywhere, it had to be the Evangelia because it did so much for us. Mm-hmm. And mother would tell you the same thing yeah. if she were here. Yeah. Well, and your mother, I mean, what a remarkable Mom was woman the hero there. I've, was, is my hero. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's it's very obvious, but she quietly did her best to keep the family together mm-hmm. and keep us clothed. And there were times when it was tough on her, but she couldn't, you know. My brother and I had, I think, four shirts together and like four pair of pants. And we were very creative with making sure that our classmates didn't know we wore the same clothes every day and week so but, did y'all change yeah. so out? we changed that that's what we did so we'd put it all on the bed and he said well i wore this yesterday you can so it's so we, you, that's the kind of game we had to play you mm-hmm. know um but i was but mother did her very best and sometimes it fell short yeah but she was still striving to, to give us everything that she had so um, i'm very very beholden to that so I know you were very young, but, but, you know, one thing I get asked is to kind of do his Waco history talks. And sometimes I say, well, what perspective do you want it from? Because, you know, that'll, that'll change which history, you know, I give you based on whose perspective you want. And so I, I'm thinking of, I mean, that era being a kid, there's not a lot of government programs no. to assist. I no. mean, I mean, w- what are memories you have for kind of navigating that space in Waco in that period, I mean, how did, how, what did your mom do to kind of get by and, and to survive? Well, um, she sold other products. She sold Reader's Digest. Mm-hmm. She sold women's uh, bras. <laughs> she, <laughs> uh, she, she's just always trying to find some entrepreneurial avenue to bring in more money, you mm-hmm. know. Um, there were times we stayed with my grandparents a little for a couple of weeks, my mother's in Dallas doing some contract work or something, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, but uh, you know, it, it you don't uh, it stay when you when you're around people who don't need anything, mm-hmm. you become very insecure. It's yeah. just a part of what because you're aware of what's going on, mm-hmm. and uh, and so uh, that that has stayed with me mm-hmm. all these years. Mm-hmm. Um, I taught in a poor school in East Austin for yeah, years. Yeah. 
and uh, well, next year will be better, you know. And just but you had to be part parent, part mentor, part all this stuff. And what I think what motivated me to do it was in large part what the the experiences I had during those four years. Mm-hmm. So, um, but you know, it's funny. My brother and my sister don't see it at that level. Mm. They just saw it as a hard time, and they wanted to move on. They, yeah. they're uh, my brother died five years ago, and uh, I remember going up there for a teacher conference, and he lived in Wichita Falls, mm-hmm. and uh, he said I told him about what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. I said, Tom, I, I think I'm going to write a historical marker for the Evangelia. Why would you do that? Mm. You know. And I know where he's coming from because he doesn't want to be reminded of it, yeah. and, you know. I, and so I, I respected that, and I just kind of moved on. But I had made up my mind by that point that that's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But my sister was kind of the same way, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but uh, I would pass it uh, going through town, mm-hmm. and, I'd, and I'd make a side trip to see what's going on, yeah, and uh, just to see how it is. And so, the catalyst for all this was. Uh, I, I did want to go to grad school. I was 58 years old, mm-hmm. and I did want to go to grad school, but Texas State had this wonderful public history program. Yeah, they were wonderful just, public history. And yeah. uh, it was run, run by, uh, her name escapes me, but uh, she did a marvelous job with that. And she called me up one time, and she said, hey, you know, I'm recruiting, uh, she called mature people to come, to come down here. And I said, well, you know, I, I don't want to do a grad, any graduate work. Mm-hmm. But she said, you can take five classes in public history. And I said, public history? You know, it's just, is that just an offshoot of? And uh, so anyway, I took those five classes, and they were absolutely outstanding. Mm-hmm. I learned so much about uh, taking history out of the campus, off the campus, and into the neighborhoods, and uh, discussing memory versus mm-hmm. history in neighborhoods and how we can come to some sort of agreement of what that might look like physically. Um, how, these wonderful stories that people had never shared with a historian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and so that got me going, you know, yeah. just the complexity and the contingencies of history, even in the public realm. And, um, and that's what, that was the real catalyst for me to do this. Mm-hmm. And so I told, uh, I told uh, Dan Utley. Mm-hmm. I told Dan. I a said, mutual Dan, friend, I had Utley, a yeah. mutual friend, and mm-hmm. I, he said, "I think it's a great idea." Yeah, you know, and, and for me, as coming from a world of you know, research resources, triangulating resources, yeah. doing all that kind of stuff, it was it was um, it was new territory. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, uh, through the guidance of some of the instructors and other people, I just decided to go ahead and do this. And so the first thing I did was um, I went over to the Texas Collection. I went online and saw where the Evangelia, some of the stuff was. And Jeff Hunt over there, mm-hmm. I called him up. I said, Jeff, I'm, this is who I am. I grew up across the street, and uh, I want to do a marker for, this, for the Evangelia settlement. Do you have anything? He said, yeah, I think we have some boxes. You know, and there's more than I thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ended up using, you know, sp- sparingly some of the resources out of those boxes, but it was like going back in time. Mm. He would send those boxes out to me one at a time because it is an archive, you know. They're yeah. very, they're very, and I, I appreciate the way that they handle their documents over there. 
very professional and, and to do it the right way. And he said, I'm going to give you one box at a time. You want another one, come get the other one. And I was going through those boxes. like It was like going back in time. Hmm. And I'd open it up and I'd see pictures of Miss Garrett and pictures of kids that I, you know, knew. And, and, uh, but a lot of it, a lot of the correspondence, it was a motif after a while when you opened every box. Uh, budget problems were all the time. Yeah. Funding was a chronic problem. Uh, and I remember reading a letter from Miss Garrett saying uh, she was directed, was directed to the board of directors of Evangelia. And she said, you promised me an old station wagon. I can take these kids to places around here. Mm. And, I, and I'm not, you're not giving it to me. No. And I just would like to know why. Mm-hmm. So it's, it kind of went that way. You know, Miss mm-hmm. Garrett was always an advocate for us. And it just, the money never materialized. And at some point she just decided I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. But then uh, I also ran across a oral history and I found the value of oral history at <laughs> 60 years old. And uh, I said, my gosh, you know. And so it was uh, Ms. a lady named Miss Painter. And, uh, and it wasn't so much the answers. It was the questions she asked. Mm-hmm. The questions are so important. Mm-hmm. But through reading the transcript, I, I gained such insight into the Evangelion in the 70s. Yeah. And what was going on. They had by that time had increased the franchise. I never saw an African-American child or mother when I was there. Mm-hmm. This was for white people, you know, yeah. if I can say that. Yeah, sure. And, uh, and so by 77, it was beginning to change. It was children who needed help, you mm-hmm. know, that's what they looked at it. And, uh, and I was very pleased to see that, pleased to read that. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about really the same kind of problems uh, that we had encountered in the 50s and 60s. So... Something had to happen. It started, the funding began with churches and local people, and then from there it went to the community chance business, and then from there it went to the United Way. Yeah. And after a while it went to the federal government, mm-hmm. you know. And so uh, they found a funding source that was, wasn't ideal at the end, but the government did provide, you know, uh, did step in and to the void material stuff and did provide food and clothes and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think we should be grateful for at that end. But I, I, I always saw it as a local problem. Yeah. You know, instead of a federal problem. Yeah. And so I, I, I was I was kind of um, shocked that it ended up that way, you know. But yeah, and I guess one of the problems with that is it, it, the community ownership mm-hmm. of it and attachment to it and investment in it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That changes. Yeah. But uh, I, I did, um, and then, it, you know, in 2007, I think they lost their accreditation or whatever it was, and then I think uh, Head Start bought it, mm-hmm. economic development folks here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dorothy Marstaller was absolutely crucial over there in helping me get this thing done. Great. And she was really wonderful. And but I had problems with the process. Mm-hmm. Once I um, sent the... Uh, my first draft to THC, uh, they, they, we got into, you know, uh, things about word usage and the way, what I'm saying and not saying and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So the folks over there were really nice, but they, we went back and forth. It's over, a slow process. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The terminology is everything. Cause it's going to be, he, one of them said over there, but we're going to put this in metal. So we have to make sure that it's, and so I learned a lot through that. Mm-hmm. And then um, 
and then just as I was approved, uh, a year later, uh, 2020, I think, something like that, the uh, Texas Historical Commission lost their contract with the foundry. Yeah, and there's one foundry there's that one, produces those. That's a, and they, yeah. I, I couldn't believe my luck, you yeah. know. Um, and uh, so it took them six months to find another one. Yeah. In the meantime, my application and uh, historical marker was just backed up with everyone else's. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it took a long time for them to catch up. Yeah. And so I would almost weekly, and Bob Brinkman and the good folks over at Texas Historical Commission in Austin, they were so patient with me because I know I pestered them at least once a week to tell me where I was on the list. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it slowly but surely <laughs> it, it came about, and they said, just go into the foundry. And, and so uh, at that point, uh, during the application process, uh, it was actually a program called the Undertold Marker. Undertold Stories, and it's, yeah. So that's just for for stories like the Evangelia that kind of fills in the gaps of our history. Mm-hmm. And um, and it was free. Yeah. You know, yeah. They, got, they got the funding somehow, I think just through sales of something. Uh, and uh, and so Bob Brinkman said, I, I think that this would be a, something that we could do. Mm-hmm. And so I always thought of historical markers as something disastrous happened, a mm-hmm. battle, something blew up or whatever. Somebody and, uh, got shot. And, yeah. you know, th- and it's this whole coming together of, of public history and my knowledge of that and, mm-hmm. and uh, being able to see that history is in, comes in different forms. But it's, it's a great gift to the community yeah. that you did it. And I, I mean, I encourage folks to go by and take a look at it. So I, I did want to go back and ask one question. Sure. As a, uh, as a elementary school student that got in trouble a lot, uh, you said such nice things uh, about your uh, instructors there and, and your, your mentors there at Evangelia, but discipline was probably a part of the program uh, I would imagine as well. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I, I, I remember getting in trouble. I did. We, yeah. we would cut, uh, I don't know how, what, what we'd know. We'd actually didn't cut it. There was a uh, hedges at the back of, of the playground. And we noticed like the beginnings of this hole through the fence. And so me and Daryl Rosser and other vagabonds, we, <laughs> decided to open it up to where a small body could go through, and we would just go one at a time. And Miss Garrett and Reston thought we were in the fort playing, and we're, we're down by the Twin Towers over here. You know, we're at the water towers, and we're throwing rocks, and we're going down to the the old Katy Station. Yeah, yeah so listener, the Twin Towers or the Magnolia <laughs> Silos yeah, yes, is what we call them. Exactly. Now. And you said you would you would we, throw rocks to see how high. Yeah, and we get. didn't get anywhere. When you're eight, nine years old, you can't get a rock anywhere around a ring, so we, we barely got past the first ring, if anything. Well, And I also know that's several blocks away. That's right. Mean, this is not next oh, door. Oh, yeah. We would, we would go to the old uh, train depot, that mm-hmm. beautiful thing. Uh, and just walk through it and do all that kind of stuff until they ran us off, you know. But we we did that kind of stuff. And I remember we all were members, de facto members of the boys' club down the street. It's mm-hmm. only a block away. Yeah. But that was a very tough place. It was very tough. Mm-hmm. It was run by a gentleman named, uh, I think it's Hank Gonzalez. I, I'm not sure his name is Hank. But he ran a tight ship too. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you've got 80, 100 boys in there, Something's bound to happen. Yeah. And uh, 
we didn't have boundaries, you know. We didn't know sometimes what that was. And fist fights went out, and we knew that if we went there, we had to be tough kids, you know. Mm-hmm. If we're gonna play pool or do whatever, so it was a tough place. Mm-hmm. And and um, and there were fights broke out, and Miss Garrett had to come down there and grab us by the ears and take us. Away. So it was it was a learning experience. I don't remember any viciousness really, mm-hmm. but we were certainly sold our oats in the neighborhood when it came to finding something to do, you mm-hmm. know, so, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Well, Buck, I want to thank you. Anything I should ask you about that kind of emerged in your research that we didn't cover? I don't think so. Uh, what I, what I would like to impart is that, um, is that that place has been taking care of kids for a very long time. Yeah. And, because it's not, you know, maybe the uh, most interesting or sexiest uh, marker that that place is quietly taking care of children mm-hmm. for over a hundred years, yeah. and uh, and it deserves not only a historical marker but recognition whenever they can get it because it was an absolute wonderful place despite everything. Mm-hmm. It was an absolutely wonderful place to spend time and uh, to grow up. so Yeah, and the tens of thousands of lives that were touched by that place. That's exactly yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. well, thank you, Buck, for helping bring some of that history uh, to the public. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Waco History Podcast. Like what you heard? Subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes so we can reach more listeners. You can find show notes and info on every episode at wacohistorypodcast.com and more info on Waco's past at wacohistory.org. Our theme music, used with permission, is Cross the Brazos at Waco, performed by the late Billy Walker. For more info on Billy's music, go to billywalker.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. This has been a Rogue Media Network production. Thank you.